Refraff revolution, 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 refraff revolution. Yeah. yeah. I always try to be the best. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Um, well, welcome to Riff Raff Revolution, a podcast about real stories about real comedians with real stories and stuff. This is the first time I've done that without looking at it and see where it got us. Great. Um, you know, really? Times <laughs> um. No, I'm not going to. It's fine. Um, anyway, my, I'm Perry. I am a theater teacher, director, producer, writer in Chicago. And I'm Laura. I'm a comedy writer and performer also in Chicago. And today we're talking to Nate Fleming, who's a stand-up. That's correct. Welcome. Yeah. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for coming on. No, this is really fun. Mm-hmm. I uh, think this how, how many I think this is the second podcast I've ever done. That's yeah, awesome. Yeah, yeah. So this is really cool. Really, really fresh to these things. <laughs> Let us be one of your podcasts. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, <clears throat> this is off to a great start. Great um, <laughs> favorite podcast from now on. I mean, so far you are because the last one was a, a, a friend of mine. Really weird dude. I hope you're listening to this, and I'm very <laughs> upset at you. Not over anything for real. I just. He's always calling me out for not being as good as him, and sometimes Ooh. he's right. Not always, just okay. sometimes. Like a 50-50 toss. Mm. So now that I'm on this podcast, I want him to know I'm better than him. I don't want to name him, but when he listens to it, he'll, he'll know. Will you tell us who it is later? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll tell okay. you after, after okay. we're done recording. Okay. I don't mind, yeah. And we'll put it in the bloopers. <laughs> <laughs> we love gossip here at Riff Raff. We do. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. So how did you get started in comedy? Oh, wow. Um... Let's see, I was eight years old. Okay, well, actually, comedy in a, in a whole, like, as a whole, I started when I was four. Um, my mom, not my mom, I was in kindergarten, junior kindergarten at the time, and they had a play in which I played Dr. Bunny, and I had the funniest <laughs> lines in the play, and I realized if you say the lines in a way that make people laugh, it feels really good to do that. So I kept like saying the lines in a way that would make people laugh. Um, and then you had those like school productions where you play different characters. And I would always do the best to say my line funnier than everyone else. Do you um, remember the, those lines? Oh, gosh, I don't. I do not know. <laughs> I want to hear the Dr. Bunny lines. <laughs> I wish I knew. I really wish I knew. Um, but I do have photos of me as Dr. Bunny. And the photos themselves are also very funny photos. Uh, and then when I... In, in, it was still in elementary school, and we had a star search at our school. So not like the mm. star search, oh. but a star search. So like our school just called the talent show Star Search. Uh, the first time I did it, we did a rendition of Larry Boy, me and my sister. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that, but I grew up like very, very conservative Christian. So Larry Boy is like a VeggieTales um, I don't know if you're familiar with Big Idea, VeggieTales, all that stuff. Larry yes. Boy is uh, Larry the Cucumber as a superhero. Um, and yeah, so we, we did a rendition of Larry boy in which I had plungers attached to my head and was in a cape and ran around the stage. Like I was Larry boy while my sister, uh, sang the song to Larry boy. We were originally going to do Kirk Franklin's stomp, but we changed at the last minute. And then the next year, uh, I didn't want to do it with my sister. So I was like, what can I do alone? And I ended up doing, um, up for the first time when I was eight years old. Oh my gosh. I have it on VHS. 
I took some joke books of mine, uh, put them in a running order, came out on stage in oversized cowboy boots and oversized vest <laughs> and a Johnny Bravo mirror. And I like did my hair in the mirror when I walked out on stage. Oh my I God. told all these stand-up jokes, uh, closed it off with a joke that I used to end all my sets with just as like a way of, of keeping solidarity with the first time I ever performed. And that was when I started doing stand-up. I was at eight years old. Oh my gosh, oh, wow. that's amazing. <laughs> that sounds awesome. When you said Larry Boy, I was like, why does this sound familiar? Why does it sound familiar? And then like a deep childhood memory yes. like sprung up. Larry Boy. That's cool. Yep, exactly. <laughs> no, my. Yeah, it was, it was fun. It was a, oh, it was a time. <laughs> that's really cool. Um, so just from then on, you just kept doing comedy or knew you were going to do comedy? Yeah, I kept doing stand-up every opportunity that I would get. Uh, I got an improv at... 14? Yeah, I got an improv at 14 years old at Comedy Sports in Richmond. Mm-hmm. So that's where I learned how to play. I learned short form and I played with their high school league for roughly uh, a year or two while I was in Richmond. Uh, moved to college to continue playing improv, continue doing stand up off and on. Um, but yeah, ever since then, I've just been like, I, I want to do comedy. I went to school for film instead because, you know, if you can't make it with comedy, you got to have something real solid to fall back on. So why not film, which is such a solid industry to be a part of. Still haven't had a single job in the film industry that's lasted longer than eight months. So that's great. Uh, But yeah, ever since since I was eight, I was like, this is what I want to do. Because Fozzie Bear did it. Fozzie, the the comedian from The Muppets. Yeah, such a good comedian. (laughs) Really, really good comedian. Gotta be just like him. I have to be. <laughs> One day my skin is gonna turn orange and I will grow fur. <laughs> it's inevitable. <laughs> um, so, other than Fozzie Bear, who are some of your like major influences? Either like getting into comedy or, or now. now. Mm-hmm. Or now. Um, I'd say today, Dave Chappelle, um, super controversial pick right now mm-hmm. with the way people have been responding to some of the things he said. But I, I love mm-hmm. Dave Chappelle. I think he does a great job of just storytelling in general. He can tell, he can do a really, really good stand-up comedy set. Um, I love Steve Martin's story of how he became what he became. Uh, one of the kings of anti-comedy. Robin Williams is always fun to watch because he's just a boatload of characters, which isn't something you get in modern stand-up as much anymore, where it's just a dude on stage doing characters for his stand-up. Um, Richard Pryor is an amazing comedian. Uh, to, to kind of sift through and figure out his journey as well. It's interesting. He started, I think, in Vegas performing, and he was a very clean, straight-laced stand-up comedian. And then he left Vegas, went to San Francisco, I think it was. I could be wrong in all this information, so <laughs> definitely take the time to look it up after fact me. Check, fact check, fact check. 100%. <laughs> but he went out during like the hippie movement, and that's when he became the Richard Pryor we know. And when he started doing stand-up again, he was... Mm-hmm. This very raunchy, edgy stand-up comedian. Um, but most of all, I just I really love Moms Mabley. You guys familiar with Moms Mabley? No. She's one of the first ever comedians to to grace America. She started in the Chitlin Circuit. The Chitlin Circuit is the circuit that black performers would go on down south because they weren't allowed to be on the same routes that white performers were. So they would be performing solely for black audiences in the south at like churches and restaurants and stuff like that all throughout alabama georgia things like that's where james brown started little richie started she came from the chitlin circuit into mainstream and she is kind of they call her moms maybe because she was basically the mother to most of the comedians that you have in the 60s 
So she started in the early 1900s. She was a black female who was also um, queer in the early wow. 1900s. And she rose to stratospheric heights with her stand-up. And it's some very, very funny stuff. She had a character of a, a very old lady she would play a lot. And I highly recommend anyone who likes stand-up to just look up anything Moms Made. I think there's a documentary on HBO about it that's really cool. Yeah, I was going to ask, where can you find yeah. her material? Uh, there's some stuff on YouTube that you can find. Uh, I know there's the HBO documentary that was made about her. Uh, I, I did a report on her in like sixth grade, maybe, when they were like, do a report on someone in your in your industry and present it to the class. <laughs> and my industry was stand-up, so <laughs> I did Mom's Mabley. It was really cool. Well, I'm surprised no one bought the film rights yet. That is truly yeah. surprising. It's a yeah. movie that tr- does need to be made because... All of your comics from the 60s had some tie to Moms Mabley because she was just so big mm. at the time. That's amazing. I, yeah, I'm like mad that I've never heard that yeah. story before. That's really cool. Um, what is the best advice you've ever gotten as a comedian? <laughs> as a comedian? Yeah. Um, or about comedy? So... Uh, I shot a special this past year and the process to like creating the special and writing the stand-up is difficult because like I said, I, I grew up conservative Christian. So all, most of the people who are going to watch my stuff at this point are family and friends who've known me all my life. So I've never been one to be vulgar or use curse words or even just really be myself who I am now. Like I've turned into or created since I've been in Chicago. So uh, I was telling like, what if, what if I tell these jokes to these people and they're like, why is he doing this? And everything I say falls flat. And on the phone call, he said, you know what I want you to do? I want you to start your entire set by getting out on stage and saying, fuck you. I'm funny. These are jokes I like. So you can get the fuck over it or you can get the fuck out. Uh, Who said this to you? He's a good friend of mine. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a good friend of mine. Um, He also said, I I want you to remember that you, I want you to have the feeling when you go on stage that, hey, I'm really good at this shit and this is what I'm supposed to do. Uh, So that's kind of been some of my favorite advice that I've gotten, but I I don't get too much comedy advice because most of my life has been in small markets doing stand up where Mm -hmm. there aren't other comedians around for me to ask questions to. Hmm. How did the, the opportunity to create that special come about? So I uh, founded an improv team in Lakeland, Florida, which is in central Florida. They're called Swan city improv about a year and a half ago. Hmm. How many months? Like a year and a quarter ago, probably. And through that team, I built a really good relationship with the theater that lets us play there every single month. So I fly down to Florida every month. I help them put up the show, uh, make sure the team's all good to go. We put up two improv shows in one night, and then I fly back from Florida. And in December, um, I just come off of a weird situationship. And uh, (laughs) that was in conjunction with the passing of my grandfather, who was like really awesome dude. And I thought, what can I do to kind of address those things in my life? And I'm like, well, why don't I just email the dude and say, hey, do you mind if I use the theater for me to record a stand-up special? I'll just get some friends together to record it. I'll keep it super lo-fi, and we'll see what we can do with it. He's like, yeah, dude. So he agreed uh, for the date that was the one-year anniversary of me starting the improv team there in Florida. Oh, wow. 
And uh, I did the stand-up show to friends and family that night. So the audience was maybe about 40 people, roughly. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mom from Virginia surprised me. Didn't even see her in the audience the whole time. Oh, So that was kind of crazy. Because <laughs> I, I did my material straightforward. Didn't hold anything back. And at the end, she, uh, I had some tears with her. And she was like, that was really good. I didn't know that you could do it like that. Like, I'm happy to see you do what you do without the influence of me being there. Like, to just see you let loose and be you. And then uh, one of the things that she said was, uh, your grandfather would be really proud of what you just did right now. So the whole thing is completely and totally for my grandfather. There's, like, discussion of my exes and other things in there. But the entire special was just, I want to try to tell my viewpoint of who my grandfather was and pepper in some stories about him in there, too. That's cool. Yeah, it was um, really fun. Did you use material that you had already been using in stand-up, or did you kind of write it just for that reason? So uh, I, I'm i the type of stand-up where I don't enjoy writing. Mm-hmm. So I'll, I'll write some new stuff, and I'll try it out on stage. But uh, I used, I think, two old jokes from old sets. I, made, I wrote a new relationship joke. Um, and then the rest of it was kind of me winging it. Uh, Mm. I knew kind of the, the beats or the titles of stories that I wanted to talk about, but writing it out for me takes away from the moment of me giving you like this spontaneous, honest emotion in the moment. So I'll write the titles of something that'll remind me of a story and then I'll just go with it. So the ones that were written were, uh, I tell a joke about punishment in my household, uh, I tell a joke about relationships and how all my relationships started around movies. And um, my encounter with a homeless man in Chicago who gave me some pretty interesting life advice. So those three were the ones that I wrote. Everything else was kind of pulled together at the last minute or I had performed the bit before and I knew it worked. So I'd pop it in and mm-hmm. see what would happen. Wow. Do you yeah. think that your performance would have gone differently if it had been a room full of strangers? Um... I'm not sure. I think with how emotional the material was that I was giving, a room full of strangers wouldn't have responded the way that room did. Uh, so that room, they they all knew me through college, pretty much, is how they all uh, got to know me, because that's where I went to college, was in Lakeland as well. So when I was telling the relationship jokes, I never mentioned a person's name, but when I got to the part where it was about said person, uh, <laughs> they all reacted to it in a way that helped enhance the emotion that I was bringing to it already. So if it was a room full of strangers, they would have got the joke, but they would not have grasped the context that came with it. So that changed uh, that aspect. And there were some, there were some things where I would say them for shock value, just because the people in the room weren't expecting me to do what I was doing. So it definitely Mm -hmm. did change it. The answer is yes. The (laughs) the short answer is yes, it did change. The long answer is what I uh, just said longly. (laughs) Have you performed the show separately from the filming, too? Not yet, actually. Uh, I've been tightening up bits and pieces of it. Mm-hmm. My intention is to hopefully in October, uh, on the one-year anniversary, is to do the same show again, but tighter than I did it when I recorded it uh, the first time. And I might want to just try a second recording to see if I can get a better, tighter version of it with some new bits and stuff. So the intention is October 16th to have... In Chicago? Yeah, probably in Chicago, yeah, because I haven't done it here yet. I've only done it in Lakeland, Florida so mm-hmm. far. So the intention is to do it here in Chicago on the 16th of October, yeah. Cool. 
Look out for that. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything that you learned from um, that initial taping that you do differently for when you? Oh, record? so much! My <laughs> gosh, that was one of my favorite learning experiences. Since I know so much about film, I trusted my friends to do it. Uh, that was my first mistake. Uh, not that you guys did a bad job if you're listening. <laughs> you guys did great. You guys did great. But I think both of me and they were underprepared because I, I didn't have the producer that I said I would have that day just because I forgot to contact them. He's a good buddy of mine. So I would definitely have the producer so I wouldn't have to worry about that. And he could be the one making sure like, hey, are your codecs matching? Like, is the color balance the exact same? Why do the lights look this way? What's up with the audio? Like he would check all the technical things that mm -hmm. I should have checked. Mm. Um, but I didn't because I was more focused so basically on our Jake. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> your Jake, who uh, his voice is very dulcet. I will add, like he's a beautiful, beautiful dulcet man. Um, and then as far as material goes, I so I never performed it before I did it that night. It was the first time. So what you see, it's on Amazon Prime. What you see is me doing it for the very first time and discovering new things. I would definitely want to be performing it a lot more often before them. Mm -hmm. So by the time it is recorded, it's a lot tighter than what I had. Because there's some things that I can cut and some jokes that need to be finished in the stand-up special itself. So more performances of the special beforehand and then making sure that I have a producer to double-check everything. Hmm. Can you speak at all to the, like, the logistics of like how do you get a show on Amazon? Yeah, how do you, do you get that distribution deal? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd love to. Uh, now I'm giving away trade secrets. Uh, uh -oh. So with Amazon Prime, it's the exact same as YouTube with stricter requirements. Hmm. So YouTube, you can just if you have a video sitting on your phone, you just tap upload. Amazon Prime. You have to take that video, make sure it fits the proper size that it requires for it to be on Prime, for it to be HD. It has to fit the proper codec, so it has to be saved in the proper format in order for it to be uploaded to Amazon Prime. And then you have to go through the painstaking or expensive process of making sure you add subtitles to the entire video. And if you do it yourself, you have to know exactly which subtitles to use because there are different standards for subtitles, oh which is something gosh. that you find out after doing an entire hour of subtitling. Well, not an entire hour. I'm sorry. When you do 48 hours of subtitling for one hour, when instead you could have just paid 50 bucks for someone to do it properly the first time. Oh, no. So you go through all that, you upload it, and then you decide where it's going to be distributed. Uh, UK, Japan, Germany, all those things. So I have it available in the UK and in the United States. And then you choose for people who don't have Prime how much it costs for them to rent or for them to purchase. And then you have to have their standards at which the art that you put for the cover has to be designed. You have to have the proper um, blurb as well. But really the, the only gatekeeper is the website itself. And then you wait mm -hmm. through a processing period, which I, I have to state when you start that processing period, do not change anything and then hit start processing because it starts the whole process over again. <laughs> so my special was supposed to release on the 24th of May this past year. But because I didn't know that's what happened when I was like tweaking this and changing that, thinking that it was just still going through the processing period of like oh, two no. to four days, uh, I kept restarting the period every time I clicked oh. the button. And it released like two weeks after it was supposed to be online. It was a great time. But it went to the UK first. And I had like six oh. minutes streamed 
So someone got six minutes into the special and was like, nah, I don't want to watch any more of this guy. <laughs> but that six minutes. Oh, that six there. minutes got me like point zero 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 two cents. Yeah. So thank you, <laughs> random Ukrainian. <laughs> wow, I I didn't realize that you could just like Yeah. Yeah, upload something on um, Yeah. On Do you know of other people who've done that with their own works? Not personally, but I did do a lot of research through like people who've made independent films and put it on mm. Amazon Prime. You used to make a lot more money on Amazon Prime. And if I had known that, I would have been making films like crazy <laughs> for that thing. Uh, but yeah, like it's it's just uh, the marketing is now in my hands is the only difference. There's no one who is pushing it. It's just me. Uh, so that's that's the thing. But my idea is I just keep putting out content until someone wants to help me market it. And that's how it's going to go. Because <laughs> I'm so bad at marketing. So bad. Yeah, that's great. This is part of the marketing. <laughs> yeah. Go watch yeah. his special. <laughs> there you go. Um, so most of our guests that we've had on have only, you know, have mostly focused in one area of comedy. Yeah. But you seem to do a lot of like everything almost um yeah, how, so does, how does how does that film yeah right. true yeah how does that inform your comedy so uh, improv is one of my favorite things to do just because there's absolutely no planning involved <laughs> so that's kind of how most of my comedy is influenced now so stand up there'll be times where i haven't written anything or i have nothing in my head i just get up on stage behind a microphone and enjoy myself that's it. And I, I don't know what I'm going to say, but in the moment I'm like, okay, cool. Let's just, let's pull this bit. And, oh, that bit connects to this. And oh, this is some new thing that we discovered. In the same way with improv, the only difference is in improv, you have other people who have your back and stand up. You have no one who has mm-hmm. your back. Um, so it's just, it's that much more fun in stand up when it's like, if I'm, if I'm <laughs> or bombing. terrifying. Oh, yeah. oh gosh. <laughs> it's that fear that makes it feel so good though. Uh, uh, oh, yeah. I hate it, bro. <laughs> Man. For that reason, <laughs> so you're a, you're a planner then. Yes. Okay. I would I would prefer the planning side of it. All. See, that, <laughs> that makes complete sense. That makes complete like most people, like rational, sane human beings, are like, I'd like to know what I'm getting into before I get into it. And I'm like, huh, seems like I don't know what's going on over there. Let's give it a go. Uh, that, that's just how I go. Um, I did a one man show for the first time, also in January, called Space: The Blackest Frontier. Uh, I'm in rewrites for it right now to either put it up again soon or... Are if, you directing it yourself too? Or? It, I wish. No, uh, I'm totally kidding. I'm totally kidding. Uh, Hannah Baker, you're an excellent director. Uh, man, I'm, I'm just losing all my friends in one podcast. Uh, all your friends you mentioned, you're like, nah. <laughs> and I'm like, why doesn't anyone want to hang out with me? Um, no, no, no. I do not wish I directed my own uh, one-man show. I have no idea how to direct for theater. I can direct for film. So, like, I want to direct my own films. Like, I get that. I understand that. But when it comes to theater, I'm like, so why did you choose to do that? I'm like, oh, well, this communicates this to the audience. I'm like, all right, dope. I believe you. That's how that works. Uh, but, yeah, I'm in rewrites for that. Hopefully, there, there's a submission period for Steppenwolf for um, uh, underrepresented voices to be able to submit their works through July and August. So, I'm rewriting a lot of it to punch it up, make it a little bit stronger, and then submitting the step before the month of August ends. Um, so I, I've, I've dabbled in theater, only dabbled in theater. <laughs> I've made or been a part of quite a few films. So film is just a fun, fun.
fun thing to do, especially being on set. I made a, uh, it's not a comedy, but when you watch it, it definitely feels like one. Uh, <laughs> a, a, a fan film for my senior capstone project in college called Just a Justice League short film, where we got the rights from DC to go ahead and make a DC Comics film. Oh, wow. Putting the proper disclaimer before it. Uh, that was a fun shoot. That lasted, I think, two months we shot on the weekends. We had a crew of like 60 people, a cast of 15 to 20, I think it was. It was very fun. Wow. That's awesome. uh, but I make like short comedy sketches. I have like a little web series that I tried last year just for fun. Um, I'm working on some new video sketches with a buddy of mine. We're at a really fun time travel one. Uh, but I think I just, I get bored doing the same thing over and over again. Mm-hmm. The only thing I haven't become bored with is stand up because there's always something new to discover and something new to try while you're on stage in front of people. Like I believe every show that I do is different depending on where I am and who mm-hmm. I'm performing in front of like that'll definitely influence how i do it like if i'm performing for uh like say a golf tournament that i'll be performing for in september like those old white men don't want to hear any of my jokes about my upbringing unless they're like funny black stereotypes right like that's what they want to hear they want to hear the funny black stereotypes well i'm not going to give it to them i'm going to give them like religious jokes or something uh or just make fun of them for being bad golfers something like that how do you get a gig at a golf tournament as a stand-up yeah uh, that seems like an interesting combination of this events. will be my second golf tournament uh, what? that i've done <laughs> <laughs> the first one was uh uh there's a friend of mine who organizes this event for he so he's a professor at the college I went to, and he works for a ministry that works with the homeless, and he does a golf tournament with all like the big wigs in Lakeland to raise money for that ministry that he does. And he's like, mm-hmm. hey, we want stand-up. So I came out and did stand-up and bombed for all these dudes. It was great. <laughs> uh, but I got to play free golf with one of my other professors from college and hang out with some friends. Uh, but yeah, that's how you get it. You just you ask people, hey, do you mind if I perform at this thing you're doing? And they're like, yeah, we'd love for you to do that. Uh, yeah, I, I don't... It never hurts to ask, right? It, I guess not. It yeah. never hurts. The worst they could say is no. There's nothing worse. Or like, hey, you suck. But I haven't gotten that often, just most of the time. So yeah, I just... Uh, <laughs> like, I, I've done, what, two sketch shows in the past year. I'll be doing a third one. And for me, that's too many. I just... I'm like, sketch is fun, but I don't see the point in it. If there's a point behind the comedy, then I'll do it. Uh, actually, I'm doing two sketch shows coming up soon, which I'm very excited about. They're going to be fun shows, uh, but I don't want to do sketch. Is it your that. own material? Yeah. So okay. like, we, we write it together mm-hmm. and put it together. Um, but I, I, want, I don't think comedy is funny unless there's a why. Mm-hmm. If there's no purpose behind it, then I don't want to listen to it. If it's you making jokes because... You want people to laugh at you because you have self-esteem issues. I don't really want to hear you. I want you to figure your stuff out and then come back and give me a why. If it's you mm-hmm. making me laugh because you think the world is shitty and this is your way of like combating that, oh, by all means, tell me some stupid jokes. Let's do this. But if you're making people laugh because you want to educate them about uh, being black or being white in America or what it's like to be an immigrant here in America or whatever, as long as you have a purpose behind what you're doing, I think I'll be more ready to laugh. So for me, sketch is like, okay, I get three minutes to imbue purpose into something I write, where if I'm working with someone else who might be like, yeah, I just write sketches because I think they're fun. Well, I don't want to do that. I, I have a limited amount of time here, and I kind of want to spend it 
in ways that to me matter. So how would you describe your uh, point of view as a sketch writer and performer? Um, it's, it's usually, it's usually trying to turn the token on its head. Uh, like I don't want to play the token, but if you have me play the token, there better be a damn good reason why I'm playing the token. Hmm. Uh, there's a really good scene my roommate and I did. So we just did a, a sketch show called International House of Panic. It's called Gay Wedding Date, where he's getting me dressed and ready to go as his wedding date because his ex-boyfriend's going to be there. So he wants me to like look all nice and show off like this new guy that he's bringing to this wedding. Um, and then he he takes me through a list of terms of like, you got to know this term, you got to know this term. And I'm like, okay, I'm learning all these things. I'm like, why does anyone have to use these terms? And then he monologues for a while. And I break him up right now and then like, dude, I get it. But he's just explaining how like the experience for being someone who's gay in America has been difficult because of this law, because of this law, because of this politician and this politician. And then at the end, like the whole time we know that I'm playing a character who's black. At the end, it's like, oh, cool, like you really slaved me some embarrassment is the punchline of that, which is then equating the fact that uh, being gay in America is not 100% equivalent, but similar to how the treatment for black Americans have been, where you're marginalized. If you're not straight and white, then you're not it. Uh, so that scene I really, really love because it's funny, but at the same time, at the end of it, we're like, oh, we also have a point to what we're saying. Mm -hmm. Uh, not mm -hmm. just about one issue, but about both issues that the identities of both the performers are in, in the scene. And I really, really enjoyed that. Yeah. I feel so like you want to make your audience think. Yes. Oh yeah. man. If, if you're, if you're not thinking about something mm -hmm. I've said, then I've wasted my time. Uh, if I have you for 15 minutes or an hour, I want to talk about something important. I want to make you laugh about it most importantly so that you understand. Like a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down, mm -hmm. says the lady who's in that movie. Supercalifragilistic lady. What's her name? Oh, Mary, Mary Poppins. Poppins. That's the one. <laughs> yep, she's a genius, isn't she? <laughs> so I'm giving you my form of medicine, my opinion, my viewpoint on life because you can't see life the way I do. So I'm just going to let you see it the way I do. And then I'll make you laugh about it so you accept it, I guess. Mm. Accept it. Uh, you don't have to. I don't care. <laughs> Is that how you also approach your stand-up then, too? <clears throat> yeah, so everything, uh, including my improv, my stand-up, I try to play characters that seem like stereotypes, um, but they're 100% true people that I know. Uh, and I want to <laughs> abolish, I want to abolish, A, the stereotype, but then, B, I want to abolish, like, the hurt we get from stereotypes because they do exist for a reason. So, like, if you can embrace the stereotype, they don't have pain. Or if you can abolish the stereotype, they don't have pain. The idea being just, like, get rid of the fact that stereotypes upset you or get rid of them at all. Like, stereotypes aren't rigid. They're just general things. Like, I can say the weather's warm today. That's not me saying that the weather is exactly 98 degrees. It's just me saying the weather's warm. It's kind of like how a stereotype is. It's like, hmm. most black people enjoy watermelon. Cool. Is that true about every black person? Oh, God, no. There's no way that can be true. That is not a possible true fact. Or like um, most white people like cranberries in their potato salad. Is that true about every white person? God, no. There's no way every white person has bad taste buds, you know? Like it's... Are you looking at me, Laura? <laughs> <laughs> like it's about understanding that as well. Do you enjoy cranberries in your potato salad? I don't know salad? if I've ever had potato salad with cranberries in it. Really? Yeah, I don't, that sounds weird to me. I've never seen it. <laughs> I will admit, 
if it is made the right way, cranberries do add a little bit of a pop to potato salad. Don't knock it till you try it on this I don't really like potato salad in general. Oh, okay. That's good. It's just too much potatoes. Too much. Anyway. (laughs) Sidetrack. So do you primarily think of yourself as a stand-up or? I would say primarily I would think of myself as a stand-up. But I've been doing improv for like, what, 12, 13 years pretty much. So improv is a close second. And sketch I've been doing since, well, right around the same time. Because I got a whole, so my mother uh, was a director for, um, what was it? It was a director for CBS 6, I think, in Richmond, Virginia. So she was the one who was like calling out, this is the next shot. We're going to graphic here, like kind of running the switchboard for the news station. She was, she's actually an Emmy-nominated daytime uh, news director, so Ooh. that's pretty cool. But uh, she brought home a CBS camera from, uh, from her work, and it's, it recorded straight to VHS, and I was able to start using it when I was like seven or eight years old. So I have a bunch of home videos that are on VHS that I created with my sister that are oh fun. Gosh. We have like fake news reports we've created. But, like, I've been around a camera for a while. Like, I ended up buying my own camera, started editing on Windows Movie Maker when I was young. And I realized that instead of writing a book report, I could read the book and then make a movie on a VHS for the book report. And no matter how bad the movie was, I would get 100, sometimes (laughs) even 110 with extra credit. What? (laughs) So I remember... I remember working with my mom on this and she was the camera operator. I think I might've been like eight or nine years old and we were doing, I was doing a report on the Boston tea party. So I recorded me throwing the tea overboard and going through the entire Boston tea party with my mom holding the camera, creating like it was waves from a low angle while I was standing on my bed, throwing boxes off with a British accent yelling like, we're, don't worry, we're supposed to be doing this. We're, we're Native Americans and like throwing it off and, and going through all the historical facts of everything. Um, and, and I aced that book report. That was great. Um, the, the first one I ever made was with stick figures. I taped uh, characters I drew to, to popsicle sticks and they would dance around and I would go through like, why we need to conserve our earth for like uh, science class or something. So I figured out how to use a camera at a very young age, and I've just been doing that ever since. So sketch has been a part of my life, too, because I just would make terrible sketches. There's a, there's a video from my senior year in high school on YouTube. It is one of my <laughs> highest viewed videos on my entire YouTube channel. My na- so my name on YouTube is Nate Fleming. And if you look up, if you Google Lord Jim the Movie Part 1, that is a senior class project in which we made a 20-minute movie for our class it was all dudes not a single girl so i played the girl part and it's from the novel lord jim the conrad novel i think is it is it conrad, jim conrad or yeah well i don't know if it's jim conrad i don't know who the author is i don't remember because i didn't <laughs> read the book i'm being honest i didn't even read the book and you can tell that i just used spark notes because there's a lightning fight in one part and that's not in the book <laughs> We had sword fights. We had, like, it's a full 20-minute movie. And this was at the time where the YouTube limit was 10 minutes. And I had just gotten, like, permission from YouTube to upload for 10 minutes. I uploaded part one and I uploaded part two. And the comments are some of the most fun things. People coming expecting the actual Lord Jim movie on YouTube (laughs) are now seeing this high schooler's project that was shot in a park in Richmond, Virginia with, like, lo-fi Adobe Premiere lightning effects and a sword bat. Like, it's... I. 
I acted as a girl and we didn't have wigs. So I took a, a shirt and draped it over my head like I was the girl. And, and no lie, we called the girl Jem, I believe. But whatever the name we used was not the name of the female character in the book. Because we didn't read the book. We just went through and we're like, who are the characters? Oh, there's a girl. Why Her name's Jem. that book? Boom. Because... I don't know. It seemed like the most... We got to do like a, a, a scene where the boat caps... It was so fun. Guys, it truly did, was fun. Did you get a good grade? We got like 110 across the board. Even though the teacher... Like factually incorrect on everything. And the teacher was like, oh my god, this is so great. You guys put so much time into this. I'm like, honestly, no. We spent... One hour filming this, another three hours playing football in the park, oh and I edited this in obviously 15 minutes. It may have taken me five minutes of which to put, like, lightning effects in there. <laughs> it's, it's quite the riot. It That's really is. Amazing. But I think it has, like, 80,000 views or something like that. So it sounds like your family wasn't really surprised when you went to film school if you were... At eight, you're using cameras for your no. book reports. Oh, no, man. <laughs> they they knew that I would be the one out of the family to do some crazy, crazy shit. Um, uh, so everyone else in my family stayed in Virginia for college. I went all the way to Florida, 800-some-odd miles away. Did college at a, a private Christian college, actually. So like I said, I grew up conservative. I no longer prescribe to those ideals or values. I say that because those are the most hateful, judgmental people. And I have to clarify that every time I talk to people about it. It's like, mm. that's just a... That's like a, a portion of America that we're having problems with at the moment. So I used to be, but I'm currently no longer. So I went there for college. They completely understood. I then moved across the entire nation to Los Angeles and uh, finished off college there and worked for CBS Films for a little bit. Hmm. Uh, I made a dumb decision and moved back to Florida because, you know, why not more Florida, right? <laughs> uh, and then I moved up here to Chicago, and I have I went back home once, I think, to live for a couple of months when I was low on money. But other than that, I haven't really been back a lot, and that's kind of what they expected out of me. Mm-hmm. Um, they've been the most supportive people out of anyone. Like, anytime I want to do something, like, cool, you can do it. You know why? I'm like, I don't know. They're like, because you're a Fleming. It's like, oh, mm-hmm. well, that's dope. Like, yeah, like, don't ever let anyone tell you you're this or you're that because you know you're a Fleming. And what do Fleming stand for? Like, we stand for greatness. Correct. That's what Fleming stands for. So wherever you go, you make sure they know your name. And not in an infamous way, but they're going to know your name because you're so damn good at what you do. I'm like, all right. So everywhere I've gone, my goal is, like, I want people to know my name because I'm good at what I do and because I represent the Flemings. Um, it's like at high school, I was class president. Every year except one when, like, the hot girl in school decided to run or something. <laughs> and uh, I just wasn't as attractive or whatever. Don't know why. Um, but, yeah, class president. And then when I went to college, I got on the improv team right away. And we became, like, campus celebrities to a campus of, like, 2,000 people. So I hosted a conference that was telecasted internationally. And there's actually some episodes of our improv team on a, an international TV show called Rev TV. So it still airs at midnight Eastern time every night. You can watch really old Nate doing some <laughs> some improv uh, in like a television recorded improv show. Um, and then like everywhere I go, my goal is like, I want you guys to know that I'm a Fleming first and foremost, and then I'm good at what I do. Same thing my older brother does in South Florida. He's like pretty well-known admissions counselor globally. Um, wow. My younger sister, she's one of the best singers in Virginia. She's part of the Richmond Symphony as a singer. Mm. Um, and then my little brother, he's touring with uh, K-1, 
Carolina Crown, which is one of the best marching bands in the world. So he's been doing that for the past two summers. He's in the snare line. Um, they are the top-ranked snare line in the world at the moment. He's also mm-hmm. a rapper, so he's on Spotify and all that. Mm-hmm. Not SoundCloud. He's one step up, everybody. Whoa. Um, he had a feature from a rapper named King Los. So uh, they got him to get on a track with him, which was really cool. So he's doing that. And then my other younger sister, she is going to be a financial advisor because someone needs to take care of the money that I'll be getting soon. I was just, just going to say, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, they've, wow. just, they've been super supportive, like both my parents. My mom actually ended up quitting CBS to stay at home when my uh, younger sister, the older of the two, was born so she could take care of us. So she's been a stay-at-home mom since, like, the mid-'90s. Um, and she, there's five, of, uh, five kids, and she's take care of a mom. My dad's done everything possible to make sure that we had clothes on our back and food in our bellies, and they helped fund us through college. And even now, I'm like, hey – dad like i may be a comedian doing a lot but i'm still waiting on it to pay a lot so you mind hooking a brother up like i gotta i need some help he's like yeah as long as you pay me back he's like you know i will he's like i know you won't just when you can (laughs) thanks dad you know i got you one day you said a motorhome right you want a motorhome yeah nate is it on its way no then why the hell are you talking to me about it like it's great (laughs) that's a that's an awesome strong family motto though oh yeah cool (laughs) <laughs> yeah, we we so before we went to school, once again, conservative Christian grew up. Before we went to school, we would all circle up as a family and even if so like there was it was staggered too. So like the older ones would leave earlier in the morning and the younger ones would leave later cuz like when you're in elementary and middle school, you leave at 8 a.m. When you're in high school, you'd be like 6:45 to catch the bus. That's just how time went. We all went to the same school system. But even if you were uh younger and you had to wake up later you would still get woken up everybody has to be woken up at the same time we all come downstairs we hold hands we pray in the morning and then before we leave my parents like when you walk out that door who are you and we all would say together flemings and what do flemings stand for greatness awesome so then we will all some of us would go back to bed or eat breakfast and the rest <laughs> of us would put our backpacks on and run and catch the bus uh so that was like a morning ritual every day so it's kind of stuck your wow. parents should write a book or something. Yeah. Dang, I'm telling you, if they did, it would be a very good book. Uh, <laughs> it would be my mom, like, correcting my dad and, like, hey, don't talk so much, please. And my dad just telling, like, the greatest stories. <laughs> oh, God. Him and my grandfather are some of the greatest storytellers I've ever known. Have you ever filmed any of these stories? I regret not filming any of my grandfather's stories, but I remember a lot of them because he would repeat them a lot. And he was a, a Korean War vet, too, so... For him, like, his stories are crazy, but I probably should start recording some of my father's stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's got some really, really good ones, and a lot of them deal with, like, he was a truck driver for a while, and he also did taxes. So there was a point where in the 80s he was making so much money off of taxes that he was, like, buying a new Porsche every year and stuff like that. Um, <laughs> wow. But he's also been, like, in the the deepest parts of America on a truck being a black man. Like, mm-hmm. that's not the best thing to do. So he's got tons of stories about how he helped educate people in a less angry way about the fact that, hey, I'm no different than you. Uh, The Mm -hmm. only difference is regionally we have different things that we know. Uh, One of my favorite stories he told is on the CB. The CB radio is what truckers use to communicate with one another. They have this radio in there, big antenna, so you can communicate for miles either direction. You can talk back and forth to other truckers to, like, warn them of something coming up ahead or hold a conversation. Um... So he was on the CB talking with a buddy of his going through the West. And I'm going to leave out details. So if you want to hear the better version, you're just going to have to listen to him, him tell it. <laughs> but basically he was talking with a dude and uh, my dad talks white. 
which is weird that we say that nowadays. But he, he would talk white when he was on the CB radio. Also, air quotes, everyone. Um, <laughs> and while he was doing this, this gentleman was like, hey, you know, we've been riding together for a couple hundred miles. Why don't we stop and have a steak together? He's like, cool. What truck am I going to be looking for? He's like, one of the big purple Western stars. And my dad drove this really, really beautiful purple truck. Um, he's like, awesome. I'll be looking for it. So my dad picked up the speed, got to the truck stop before the gentleman, walked into the restaurant, and then waited to see someone walk up to his purple truck. So this guy gets out really, really big, like Texan. I think he's Texan. He might not be. But just for the sake of the story, I'm going to keep going. He's like a really big Texan, big hat, cowboy boots. He's walking up to my dad's truck. And my dad walks over. He's like, sir, can I help you? He says, nah, boy, I don't think you can help me. Well, that's the first sign that this is not going to go okay <laughs> when you as a man are referred to as a boy by someone, right? My dad's like, oh, that's interesting. You sure I can't help you? He's like, no, nah, boy, I'm just looking for the person who owns that truck. He said, oh, you mean my truck? <laughs> you own this truck? I said, yeah, I do own the truck. If you want, you can look down. Snow had fallen at this time. He said, you can look down. You can see that the tracks go into the shop, and they come right back out where I am. So these are my boot prints. Makes a boot print in the snow, sees it. The gentleman was like, well, I've been talking to you for hundreds of miles. You seem like a dope dude. Let's go down. They ate together. You end up making a lifelong friend that way. Wow. But initially, the guy had just judged him just by looking at him. as like, oh, this is another one of those Negroes. Well, go away. I'm trying to talk to the person who owns this truck. Because that's the assumption everyone makes is like, there's no way that you, being a black man in America, can own something this great. Hmm. Well, my dad did. He always kept it clean. He always kept himself clean. So he just defied all stereotypes. Wow. Full circle. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Do you feel like you draw from... Um, your dad and your grandfather um, for like s- s- storytelling techniques. I don't know. Is that a thing? Yeah, <laughs> Do you yeah. draw inspiration from that? Oh yeah, definitely. All the time. Like they, without like telling me explicitly, this is how you tell a story. <laughs> they taught me how to tell a story. Like I could tell when I'm more enthralled with what you're saying and why I'm more enthralled with what you're saying, because it's not about like things you did. It's all about the interpersonal relationship that you're telling me. Like, the reason why I care is because there are people that make me care in the story you're telling. Mm-hmm. Like I automatically care because it's my grandfather and my father, but then these are people that my dad will walk up to in the middle of the street. Since my dad was a truck driver for so long, he knows how to think, like associate with where you're from immediately. So within the first 15 to 20 seconds, my dad has you on his side because he walks up and he's like, so where are you from? You're like, well, I'm from some small town in Texas. You've probably never heard of it. He's like, okay, well, I mean like, where's the town? Just curious. Like, oh, uh, like Odessa or something like that. I don't know the specific town. Like, yeah, from Odessa. He's like, oh, okay, so right there off 37 where they have that, uh, the 7-Eleven. But, oh, no, no, wait. They changed that 7-Eleven that got bought out by Hess, right? And the person's like wide-eyed, like, how in the world <laughs> do you know this? He's like, yeah, I used to take a load of watermelons down through that way. And from that moment on, because he knows where you're from and he's not asking you what your ethnicity is, he's not asking you, like, where you were born. He's just asking you, like, where did you grow up? Because that's what's more important than like what your ethnic background is because that informs you a lot more than your ethnic background. Hmm. So it's like, oh, yeah, you grew up here. So these are the landmarks that you know I can now associate with you. I don't have to figure out why our ethnicities are together. I just have to figure out where you're from. I've been there. You've been there too. Now we have some shared experiences and it just goes into stories. So it's all about finding that instant connection of like, oh, you're from here? Cool. Well, I know that place too. Like, I'm familiar with it. And then moving on from there, my grandfather, he would, uh, so in his last year, he was blind and he would always shake, like grab your hand to make sure he knew where you were and then he'd pull you in close. (laughs) 
So he cheated a little bit with his stories because he, he's pulling you in. But it's the same <laughs> effect that you want to have with people is you want to reach out a hand, have them grab it by like inviting them into the story. And then you want to pull them in close so that they can understand that this is something special that I'm sharing with you. So I mm -hmm. definitely pick that up from them, the cadence, making sure that your stories have some humor to them because you don't want to bring people's mood down all the time. <laughs> uh, and really loving the story uh, and embellishment. Stories need embellishment. <laughs> like the real truth is boring. So you got to make, you got to add some pizzazz to it most of the time. Yeah. Cool. That's interesting. Um, we're running short on time. Completely fine. So we are going <laughs> to, um, yes, we are going to tr um, transition to our last segment, okay. which is, um, I think we sent you the prompt. Yes. That's a very confusing and difficult prompt. I will say that. <laughs> yes. Yes. If you could satirize some way that you felt marginalized as a comedian or person, how would you do it? Yeah. So what did that prompt inspire in you or make you think of, if anything? Uh, the biggest thing that it made me think of is uh, a lot of people refer to me as half black or half white, and that is false. It's not true. Um, because my dad is, is black and my mom is white. I am black and white. Mm -hmm. I'm not half and half. I'm fully both because I get both cultures, both influences from both sides. So uh, there's no category that I fit in, but people frequently try to fit me in a category and make like the, oh, if you're half black, is it the top half or the bottom half? And it's like, mm, that's not how that works. Mm. Uh, genetics are kind of mixed fully in. So uh, usually asking, so do you play basketball? Can you jump or can you shoot? I'm like, well, I can do both. So I'm not like some incompetent human being i am able to do both do you run fast or, or are you smart like well those oh. are not exclusive to yeah. either side either so um yeah so it's 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 the people fact are the worst oh gosh <laughs> the worst. I, I and i don't know if it's they're the worst or they just don't know just. does that make sense like uh like you you're you only you're only as uh, knowledgeable as you are like you, you don't know what you mm -hmm. don't know and if you've never lived my life to understand what it's like to have two worlds in you then you you're not going to know how to operate with someone who has two worlds in them because you've only come from one so for you it's easy to stick yourself in a box but for me i don't belong in a box because hmm. there isn't a box that works that, i've never heard that perspective before that's really interesting because according to yeah. racial stereotypes, which that was something that was created in like the 1600s, probably. I don't know exactly when, but according to racial stereotypes, there's only four races in the world. There's black, mm -hmm. there's white, there's Asian, and there's Hispanic. That's it. There's nothing else that exists because at that time, that's all they knew. So we're still living by racial standards and race has nothing to do with science. Absolutely mm -hmm. nothing. There's no scientific basis for anything that they have when it comes to race. There's no scientific difference between black and white people other than the fact that their skin is darker. Everything else is the same. There's no scientific difference between Asian and Hispanic and white and black. There's none. Hmm. You cannot tell me that there's some science thing that separates them. There's just the fact that we've been taught ever since we were little that race is a thing and your race is this and you fit closest to this box. But what if there's someone who's black and white? The boxes don't work anymore. Gotcha. Mm. Other. Exactly. You check yeah. other, and now they have two or more races. It's like, well, oh, gosh. that's oh. not, race is still that's not so real. vague and nonspecific. Yes. <laughs> yes. Which two? There's four to pick from. I could be any two. Oh my God. Hang on. Hang on a second. I got to. 
I gotta cut the stove off. Click. Okay, okay, I'm coming, I'm coming. Hey, how are you guys doing? Hi. Jehovah's um, Witnesses? No. No. Okay, no, 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 cool. No, just no, no. checking. Um, we're actually census takers with oh. the United States government. Okay. We're just here to ask you a couple questions. Just a couple questions. Yeah. So just take a few minutes of your time. Mm -hmm. All right. Perfect. No well, I just made some ramen, so let's make it quick before it gets cold. Okay. Oh, yeah. It should be okay. very mm. quick. Um, first of all, let's see. Um, what is your ethnicity? Great. What are the options? Let's see. I've got <clears throat> white, mm -hmm. black, mm -hmm. Caucasian, Asian, Caucasian. Asian or Pacific, Pacific Islander. Yeah. Okay. Asian Pacific um, Islander. Native American. Okay. Did I skip any? Mm. There's some, and like other, other ones. There's just that other. That I didn't list. Okay. okay, cool. Yeah. So just, uh, you can go ahead and mark black. Okay. And white. Well, I can't mark two. Why not? I can only mark one. Does the pencil the not work? The computer won't read it. Yeah, oh. the computer, it's like Scantron, yeah, you know. You okay, cool. So well. Erase that. All right, well, screw the computer. <laughs> Let's go, what's today? Uh, oh, I'm going to Hawaii soon. Let's do Asian Pacific Islander, right? Well, are oh. you actually Asian Pacific It's not Islander? aspirational. Oh, yeah, it's not. No, no, no. It's no. going to have to this be This is like, all, no, okay. Well, I guess, I mean, I don't know what race this is, but I guess you can mm -hmm. put me down as other. What is that? Okay, yeah, yeah sure. I mean, whatever. Cool. We just need to mark a box. So oh, cool, great, yeah. great. Yeah, you other. can mark two boxes. Cool, awesome. Um, no, just one. Just um, one other. So okay. next, next is going to be um, country of origin. Gotcha. Yeah. And can you define that question? A little closer, because... Like, what country were you born in? Oh, well, that one's simple. Kind of. I was uh, I was born on a military camp in Germany. So is it like, am I American or am I German? Oh. You might need to call our supervisor about that one. You could just put Germany because that's cooler. Leave that blank is that going to be okay. actually German? Well, yeah. Let's just leave it blank. Okay. Um, cool. Yeah. Next is religion. Oh, dope. Yeah. Because we have to know that for the people of the United States. Okay. You could be potentially taxism. Who knows? Okay. What? Yeah. Yes. Just all right. blanket religion, whatever religion you are. Okay, well, all right, this is going to be weird. But I'm, so I treat religion like a smorgasbord. So I take a little Buddhism, a little bit of Muslim, mm. and a mm. small amount of Christianity. So Is there a name for that? Yeah, uh, Buddhism Christianity. Uh, it's not an option. We still You can't put that down another? One. Yeah, we can just, just check one. one. Well, I can't one. prescribe There's the one. There's not even an other on this. Oh, we'll no. see. If I if I put a check on the Christian box, then, you know, Allah is upset. If I put a check in the Muslim mm -hmm. box, mm -hmm. you know, uh, Christian God is upset. And then Buddhism, right. who knows, you know, who, who knows? Okay, we'll just um we'll just skip that one for now. Okay. Maybe, should I, not atheist. No, that would not be atheist. Well, no, I definitely right? believe that there is something that controls mm. us. Like, yeah, I can't, I can't be marked as that. I'm well, just going to write that in... one off then. One yeah, yeah, something, okay. something yeah, is yeah. going to be my answer. Um, cool. Uh, next question. Occupation. Occupation. Oh, all right. Um, so I, I'm currently on the two week probationary period from my job. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, uh, I'm a lumberjack, and okay. I cut so down a tree. Well, not right now. I can't put it down. My job said on this two week probationary period that I'm technically not working for the company, but I should. Be going so back independent contractor. Weeks. Well, no, no, no. I used to be an independent contractor, but they bought out my contract, so I am a full-time worker for them. It's just there was a workplace accident, so I'm on a two-week probationary period. So unemployed. Unemployed. No, 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 no. I, 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 I'm still like, okay, 
So you know when you make what the mistake. What was your last job? Lumberjack. Yeah. Should we just put that? Maybe. Let's just let's, let's put, put maybe. Let's see, I'll write I, maybe next to it. The if, computer. Wasn't if my boss finds out though that the two week probationary period is a little messed up because I'm supposed to not be working. Well, your right name's now. not attached to this. It'll be fine. I'm sure it'll be great. Um, cool. So let's see. Favorite type of um, dinner. Oh, entree. Easy breakfast. I'm sorry, that's not an option. Yeah, breakfast for dinner. You don't. No, breakfast is breakfast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But you can eat it at dinner. No. We do have brunch as a category. Well, no, 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 no. Brunch is lunch. That's the next one is brunch. What kind of brunch do you like? Oh, I just like brunch. Like, that one's an easy one because that one's already aligned with what I need. I'll put yes. I'll just put yes. Yeah, is this a political thing? Like, what is the purpose of this census? I don't. The United States government needs it. To like get a good, you know, feel of the people in the world, in their, in their country, you know? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So last question. Okay. Um, let's see. ask the sexuality question. Oh, I skipped that one. I skipped that one. Um, sexual preference. Yes. I'm sorry. Yes. No, I I have a, I do, I do prefer sexual relations Is okay that... but like <laughs> heterosexual or homosexual Ooh. Ooh, we do we do we added pansexual oh this year or pansexual. pansexual i don't i don't um i my answer is always yes pansexual. Maybe. okay yeah there that, that works. okay that's cool fantastic. there we go oh, that's awesome um great final question um is um I'm a cusp, if you are wondering. I'm sorry, what? Cusp a cusp. what? Uh, well, a Libra and a Sagittarius. Oh. Yeah, October 23rd and a half. It's like between the 23rd and 24th. So like I'm both a Libra and a you Sagittarius. You know what, sir? I, I'm sorry. I don't think this is going to work anymore. We, you, I, no. I'm going to recommend that like maybe you're not a person in the United States. You know what? You know, I'm going to recommend that you take your census, you get rid of the multiple choice, and you make it a short answer. Then you'll probably include more people. I don't have that authority, sir. Oh, you so, don't? Um, oh, I'm you just going to have to mark down not a person Maybe of the United States. Maybe we can just mail States. you another form and you can fill it out. By yeah. Yourself. If yeah. the form you know is what? short we'll answer, I'll fill it out. We'll talk to you later. Oh, I don't you know. Bye. We have to leave. Are you going to leave? This is too uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to invite y'all in for ramen. I'm so confused. <laughs> 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 anyway, so um, to finish us out, um, do you want to plug anything coming up or like social media accounts, whatever? Awesome. So I'll just go ahead and plug. So uh, the Huggable Riot Show at Annoyance's main stage starting September 5th, running through that entire month, every Wednesday at 8 p.m. The following night on Thursday, I have a show with my team. Just hold it open. I don't have a name for it yet, but it is a sketch show at Under the Gun Theater, I believe at 8 p.m. every Thursday for September 13th all the way through October 5th. I have uh, a stand-up show coming up October 16th with an unnamed theater, and I have Mm. a stand-up show October 25th, which will be a brand new hour that I will try to... Uh, debut hopefully i can stick to what i just said uh and <laughs> it's I, recorded now <laughs> it's it's in forever nate do you have uh, a website that we can go and check on yes i do it's the nate 
it will hopefully work by the time that this podcast is finished. <laughs> or you can follow my social media accounts at the Nate Fleming, either two G's or one G at the end of that, and it's one M in the middle of the name. And, and it's so difficult uh, to find <laughs> all of this stuff. Uh, that's my plug. I'm so bad <laughs> at plugs. And um, yeah, take it away. Uh, uh, take it away, music man. <laughs> this has been a Neighbory Inc. podcast. Go to neighboryinc.com for more details. Follow Riff Raff Revolution on social media at r underscore r underscore revolution because they couldn't get a more convenient handle. This episode was edited by Jacob Duffy Hallblive and Dominic Guanzan. This episode was produced by Perry Hunt and Laura Leland. Tune in next season for more episodes. Bye. 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 The end. <laughs> and my producer will be just as attractive, if not more, than Jake. Um, <laughs> uh oh. <laughs> more. <laughs> are you taking? What are you doing? Put that away. They said I look attractive. Everything, honestly. So, great job. <laughs> great job. Jennifer, if you're listening, you did a great job on my haircut. <laughs> that was fun. <laughs> that was fun. I couldn't think of another stupid question. Political I wanted it to be even more stupid, but I couldn't think of it. This is why I'm a writer. <laughs> bah! That anyway. was great. All right, I just wanted to take a uh, real minute. This is all coming off the cuff, but uh, Perry... Laura, you guys did a, a great job with this whole season. And, uh, yeah, you, you got, I feel weird using the word uh, proud because it implies some sort of authority. But uh, you guys made me really proud. I, um, you know, enjoy listening each week and meeting all these new people. And none of that would have been possible without both of you. So, Thanks for doing what you do and doing it so well.